You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Phi. I just wanted to set up and introduce this episode. Jason and I went onto Reddit under the Financial Independence and FIRE subreddits, and we pulled a number of different posts of people who are either on the financial independence path or who have reached financial independence and have retired early, and for one reason or another are dissatisfied with the decisions they're making or have made along the way, or actually where those decisions have landed them. We want to use these as kind of case studies, examples of how not to fire. Now I'm going to do my best to summarize each one of these posts, uh, but if you want to see the full text, be sure to go to either our YouTube channel or our website, twosidesoffi.com, so you can read the original posters, actual verbiage there. No judgment passed. This is simply shared in the same spirit that I think the original posters shared the information so that others can learn from that situation and so that we can avoid making the same mistakes that they made. So what's the first one here? This one is fairly straightforward and yet very, very common. And I suspect you've talked to some folks like this, even if they're not interested in FIRE. And this is somebody who has really studied the market. They're probably pretty early on their FIRE trajectory. And they are of the belief that they can outperform the market. And so they talk about, you know, doing the research, uh, picking stocks and, you know, outperforming, you know, 20% returns or more. They, they say they arrogantly ignored the the evidence that this volatility they were seeing and, and capitalizing on uh, would catch up with them. And in fact, that's what happened. It wiped out a huge portion of their portfolio. Um, and, you know, they've, they've come to the right conclusion, which is, hey, you know, index funds might be a better strategy. But, you know, how do you react to something like that? Somebody looking at stock picks as opposed to, maybe a more tried and true path to, you know, building up that portfolio? Well, I, th- I first question here is this person was on the fire path, right? They were planning to retire Correct. early. Okay. So yes. I don't think it's actually that uncommon for people to have this notion about the stock market where it is a game. Um, and, and it's right. something that I have to know a lot about in order to play in the game and also to win from that. And I think part of that discussion, if I remember this correctly, is that they really thought they could do better than standard index funds, right? So it's not like they didn't know about index funds. They just chose to, they wanted to kind of shortcut that path. And I think I've definitely felt that way. I've thought and invested in crypto thinking, well, this is a shortcut here. There's a lot of upside here. Right. And um, maybe I'm going to take advantage of that. And of course, you know, I bought pretty near the top of ETH in the past four months. And now if I look at where it is today, I think like, yeah, um, that was a bad move. And so I think we're all prone to thinking we can actually beat the market. And, you know, my personal investing philosophy is very similar to yours. And that is index investing, which is like, you know, the the most vanilla form of uh, investing there is. But it's actually over the past couple of years felt really good to see that pay off. What's your have you ever that's right invested in individual stocks? I have, but I have always believed that they should represent something like no more than 5% of my portfolio. And, okay. and I fully recognize that's high. many people <laughs> in the FIRE community and, and especially people, some of my former peers in tech would say that that's far too low. 
you know, they're much more aggressive about this. Okay. And, you know, I understand that. And look, I have had some benefits from from picking good single stocks companies I believed in, right? Tesla is one of those. Uh, many people, uh, I believe you included, own Apple and have for a long time. And, and those are smart picks that that seemingly worked out, right? Or financially, they, they worked out. But I am like you in that I, I follow the path and have followed the path of index fund investing. I believe in the power of uh, the market and looking at it as a whole, right? Anyone who's read Simple Path to Wealth, uh, very familiar uh, with that idea, you know, whether it's VTSAX or some other whole market or, or mirroring the S&P 500 type approach. There are lots of things you can do to really reduce that risk, but also get the exposure that many people want. And this individual in particular really focused on small cap stocks, uh -huh. um, which are incredibly volatile yeah. and certainly as an index fund, small caps are likely a part of your strategy just like they are of mine. But uh, certainly picking individual small cap stocks is terrifying Way to me. More risky, I, I yeah. can't see myself doing that. Well, let me ask you, a little too risky. Let me ask you this. Uh, and Laura has been questioning me about this. You have a very specific set of knowledge in biotech, for example, right? And that should theoretically give you a leg up on picking stocks in that little sort of micro environment. So yeah. why not do something like that? Because what I fear with this, this idea of, okay, Tesla or, you know, whatever, you know, I'm investing in crypto is by the time I hear about it as a layperson, it, all the upside is gone generally. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. You happened to pick Tesla probably many years ago and now, yes. you know, that you happen to benefit from a pretty meteoric rise in that stock, but someone buying Tesla stock today is not going to see that same upside. So that's my fear sure. with this whole thing. So could we shortcut that possibly with say one to 5% of our portfolio by picking a stock that is in our wheelhouse? Yeah, I, I really like that idea. And and I think the first thing I would say before responding to the question about the, the niche and having domain knowledge is for me, uh, I would I would also say that looking at individual stocks has always been a buy and hold game for me. I've never looked at it as an opportunity to have short term returns, take advantage of volatility. Some people really enjoy that. But I do put that more in the category of gambling, yeah. just like I do with crypto. And yeah. this is not a knock on crypto. Like you, I own <laughs> Ethereum. I own Dogecoin. Me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's a very small part of my portfolio. I look at it as fun. I want to take advantage of it if, if crazy things happen. But I'm, I'm not certainly not at this stage in my life willing to go all in. And I suspect were I having this conversation in my early 20s, I still would not be going all in. But, yeah. but back to your question. Earlier in my career in biotech, I absolutely – did pick some single stocks based on sort of knowledge of the market and my feelings about technology and where they might go and had some of those things do pretty well. Uh, but I also hit a point in my career where it became more challenging to hold stock in competitive companies there, you know, there's some restrictions or hoops you have to jump through to, to buy see. and sell them. And I, I started being very uninterested in that. Uh, and so I, I did sell off any of those things. So I, I get the idea of that being a very powerful tool you could take advantage of. I did do some of that sort of buying with domain knowledge, but I think I'm also pretty honest with myself about it's easy to convince yourself that because of the knowledge you have that you somehow have a big leg up, whereas maybe you have a small advantage, but I don't know. I, I think I might, uh, yeah. I, I, I was going to say, that, it doesn't, that, that it, idea scared me. It doesn't mitigate the risk. Like the, no, the risk is almost the same. 
That, yes. That's kind of what yeah. I... You put it way better than I did. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to hear that. And then there's also this idea of like, you're working in biotech and uh, I don't know, I mean, you work for startups and oftentimes the compensation for those is is built into, you know, giving you options, right? Yes. And and there, it, rather than a diversification strategy, you're actually narrowing down uh, your investment portfolio, you know, just into one basket. And that seems even more dangerous. So uh, some yeah. of that domain knowledge that creeps into a startup or, you know, those kinds of investments where all starts to look, very, your portfolio all starts to look like one thing. And then your job is tied to that too. It's like yes. super risky. Um, so I think, you know, I think the, the point here is, I've been happy with the returns on index investing could be higher yep. if I somehow magically picked all the right stocks and found some great upside opportunities. And people do that all the time, but I'm pretty happy with how comfortable I am. It reminds me something you just said there about this idea of exposure and not wanting this sort of narrow window of exposure and how dangerous that is. And the anecdote that came to mind is, you know, like many people, I had access to in, in tech, uh, you know, employee stock purchase plans where you can at a favorable discount buy stock in the company you're working for. Uh, I also had the benefit of having uh, stock options being a part of my compensation. And so it's very easy when you're in this mode to accumulate equity in your own company, whether you're buying it actively or being sure. given it as part of your compensation. And I had some friends at some of the, you know, the FANG companies, right? Like, you know, your Apple and your Amazon and the like, who were in a similar situation, but even more so, right? Those companies are very famous for uh, giving a lot of equity, you know, put on the golden handcuffs, keep your employees. And I would talk to some guys who, who I regarded as incredibly intelligent individuals, right? Senior engineers at, you know, the top 10 companies in the world. And they would tell me their entire portfolio was tied up in their employer. Wow. <laughs> talk about a scary idea, right. right? I mean, yes, they may have millions of dollars of Apple stock, but they have millions of dollars of Apple stock. It's all there. They had no index funds. And while that might pay out, uh, you know, pay off. It's obviously doing very well right now. Just the risk that you have in, in sinking everything, putting all your eggs in one basket scares me an awful lot. I, I mean, how, how would you react to that? I suspect you feel the same. Yeah. And then, I mean, even if these companies are being more and more profitable, you know, it, it represents a larger and larger portion of your, your net worth. And so diversification is just like completely skewed in the wrong direction. So yeah, no, I think, um, I, I guess the, the root of this is have a system and then trust the system because it sounds like this person yeah. that we were first listening to here, or the, the first post was, well, I know there's this system, but I think I can outgame it. And I think, um, what this person came back to is where you and I land right now. And much of the fire community is like the system works. You just have to give it time. Yeah. And that's the hard, that, that's right. That becomes the hard part for all of us. You know, when you see the yes. goal on the horizon, you want to get there as fast as you can. And I, I suffer from that too there is a lot of this excitement and passion for achieving fire <laughs> right. that can lead you to take decisions that are either high risk or I would, I would suggest not perhaps thought through sufficiently. All right. What's a high risk one? So, uh, so the second one uh, is titled, I think very well. It is, I would like to share a lesson about pursuing FI learned the hard way. <laughs> now, I think the good news for this individual is that, you know, they're relatively young, but on the other side of that, they're also 31, which means that they have had some of the best earning years in terms of, you know, the the power of compounding interest. Right. That they're they're now about to tell you 
they have not taken full advantage of. And this relates to the previous conversation in that it's about picking and it's about sector investing. And this individual, despite to their uh, credit, having read a lot of the same sources that we value, right, you know, Mr. Money Mustache and, and places in Reddit, you know, you know, mad scientists, lots of good blogs and, and boards out there. So you, they're, they're basically saying they should know better. However, they started to get really excited a couple of years ago about cannabis stocks, and, and rightfully so, right? An industry just starting to take off, legalization in many states, lots of opportunities in different ways, all tied to that industry. Well, they went big in that, and while it was pretty exciting early on, they ended up losing about 75% of their total portfolio. Wow. So, so did they invest? They feel completely devastated. Right. So they, they put everything they had into it basically, or? Yeah, that's how it reads to me. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Talk so about not diversifying. Um, <laughs> were they high? <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, it's possible. They do not say that. And I did not dig deeply enough in the comments, but I suspect yeah. somebody may have asked that. It's just, a. it's so hard to read a post like this. And, you know, for all of you who are listening to the podcast, these are actually on our website. So you can see, check the website for the show notes. And then they're also as part of the, the YouTube channel included in the video. So you can read the whole entire post. And my reaction to this is, I just kind of feel bad for this person. <laughs> just, yes, totally. Just um, because you can see there's definitely this kind of sunk cost happening here. They get they get to this point and they realize, oh, I should probably be moving out of this. It's not looking good. And they stick with it and they stick with it and they stick with it in spite of, yeah. you know, knowledge to the contrary that like it's not looking very good. And um, and it's basically a, a start over kind of situation but the good news is at 31 like this is way earlier than when i discovered the fire movement so like there still is time and you know yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't have the 88 times over compounding effect that you know, it would in the in your 20s but recognizing this at, right. in your 30s like I, I would do almost anything to have this knowledge in my 30s um and, totally yeah so that's my reaction well how about yeah. you what yeah no are you in cannabis at all? I appreciate that. <laughs> I do not have any specific directed investments in cannabis. Okay. They may be in some of the funds, but you know, I have not purchased any stocks in cannabis yeah. uh, companies. I get my reaction to this is a couple things. Uh, in addition to what you've said, I think the first is that this is obviously an astute individual. They're very self-reflective. You'll, you know, people will read that in the post. I'm sure they're they're going to do fine. Um, and they did catch this relatively early, depending upon their their goals, of course, right? Well, when did they want to retire? Well, that's true. Good but point. But the other the other the other comment I would make is this to me falls in the category of gambling and and gambling can be a lot of fun with certain really important guardrails around it. But it's certainly when it comes to the level of you're you're sticking your whole portfolio or 75 percent, whatever it was in this, it's absolutely gambling. That's not investing. Um, and the returns may be wild and, and successful if it goes well. But for me, particularly when you have a specific goal of financial independence, retire early, it seems counter to that to start throwing big chunks of your possible portfolio into things with such high risk. And, and that's, you're just going to hear that from me again and again. It feels like I'm very conservative, but you know, earnestly the data are the data. Uh, index funds over time, you know, is the way that, you know, many people approach this for good reason, right? It's just a lot lower risk and the results are proven. <laughs> Did you ever have a gambling uh, problem? No, I never okay. did. I actually fear gambling. I have a friend <laughs> who legitimately will give me money to gamble with just so he has somebody to play blackjack with <laughs> because I hate 
like putting my own money on the line as much as I think the game is kind of fun. Like just that uh, knowing the odds and, and understanding how math works. Dude, I, I it's just like I can't I can't do it. Yeah. When I, my first job uh, um, out of college, I got a little scratch ticket habit because I was kind of I think I was compensating uh, for my um, displeasure with the, the job that I had. So every every lunchtime okay. I'd go next door to the convenience store and buy one of those, you know, a couple of those twenty dollar scratch tickets with like forty eight thousand boxes on it or whatever. <laughs> it's like I got oh, into man. that for all, like longer than I should. And so like this kind of thing, when you say gambling. Ah, it's absolutely what it is. And I ha I know there's a little kernel of my brain that says, oh, you can do this, you know? <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah, I'd be very afraid of that. That's why I like this idea of like, having a system, following the system. And then I don't have to think about, yeah. oh, maybe I could gamble. Like that that was one of the things when I read this, I was like, oh, geez, that was like cannabis. Like, cannabis a couple of years ago, that would have been pretty smart, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I, I definitely think we're all susceptible to this at least a little bit. We are. And maybe one more comment on the whole idea of single stock picks and having a, having a system. You know, one of the companies I was at, uh, you know, was pre-IPO when I joined. I had gotten options. You know, we had gone public, but the value of the options versus what it was trading at by the time I left the company did not make sense to purchase those uh, at all. I would be way underwater, and certainly there was no assuredness about the, the future of the company, just like any early-stage company. Well, fast forward a couple of years, there was a bubble in the biotech sector, and that stock that was trading at a few dollars a share when I left the company was trading at $250 a share a couple of years later. And so this isn't a story about me feeling regret. It's rather me thinking about some of the folks that still worked there. Because when I talked to them when this all went down, they were in so many different camps. Some of them had a great plan. They said, my options are worth $6 a share, $11 a share. When they hit to 50, I have a sell order in place. Or oh, when nice. they hit to 75, I have a sell order in place. Lots of people didn't have that. Yeah. And they watched it go all the way up and they kept holding and kept holding and it just came crashing down as so often happens. You know, you hit your peak, but then, you know, there's a precipice. That's a great. And it's a, yeah, you know, I love that story. But do you have that set up for any parts of your portfolio? For single stocks? No, I have so few and they're all long holds. But, you know, for me, when I did have a couple of very volatile things earlier on, uh, some of the things I talked about selling, they did have sell orders on them. Interesting. Yep, okay, cool. Did. Yeah, and I, I love looked at that. them as more short term. And now I don't hold any single stocks that I view as short term. Yeah, yeah. I did, to be fair, uh, sell about half of my Tesla stock uh, at its sort of peak last year, sometime early in COVID, if memory serves me right. Sure. But I held the other half because it is a long hold stock for me. But the multiple on what I had made, I felt like, well, I'm just being greedy holding this even longer. I can put this to work in my portfolio. And so I did choose to do that uh, and, you know, had, had was past, uh, you know, short term capital gains by well, you know, by that point. So to me, it made sense. But those are all individual decisions. But, yes, I I have used, uh, you know you know, basically circuit breakers before to, to decide, well, to not have to decide when to sell things yeah. that are higher volatility. I love that. Yeah. And it'd yeah. be interesting to, this isn't part of this conversation, but interesting to think about, okay, what other circuit breakers can you put in place if we're thinking about developing yeah. systems for, you know, just ordering your financial life? That would be, that's kind of interesting to think. So there's a, there's a couple of these that fit into the same sort of box. Um, but the wording on them and actually the titles on them say so much um, similar, but they, they stated a little differently. Why don't you get into these next two? Yeah, absolutely. And these are two more pre-fire pre uh, cases. Yep. 
So the first post is titled, I feel like a chump for investing in my future at the expense of the best years of my life. And the second one is a word of caution. You can overdo anything, including fire. <laughs> I, I feel like I've been so, at risk of doing, doing this too. I mean, these are two people who are, they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing, right? And they just take it to the nth degree. They do. And, and they're at different places. You know, one of them is already 40 years old. And they have a lot of things about life that they're really appreciative for, a great family, they're in good careers, um, a, you know, a good income. And, you know, the second individual, you know, is, uh, perhaps uh, they are earlier, they're in their late 20s, 28 years old. And but both of them are saving a very high percentage of their income. Uh, the second actually states it as 80 percent. The first states it as they're saving everything that isn't their basic living expenses uh, and and. Both of them describe themselves as being unhappy, even miserable. Uh, there are some expletives in there about how, how much they hate it. And I think they're at different parts of their, their sort of psychological journey about how uh, this has affected them. Yeah. Uh, the second individual, not the chump, uh, the one who is worried about overdoing anything, yeah. I think is a bit more reflective about yes. <laughs> um, you know, striking a good balance between enjoying the present and preparing for the future. So how do those stories strike you, Eric? Is there something in particular that resonates with you? Or I mean, I think the, the second one, the word of caution, you can overdo anything. They have a sentence in there that says, in the end, money is just a tool to get what you really want in life. Don't fetishize it. Um, and I, I mean, that really spoke to me because... I feel like there's a part of me who's overdone fire sometimes. And sometimes it's Laura who calls in to check on me. It's like, um, no, okay. we're making enough to be able to spend on this and that we can have both yeah. things. And so I, I do feel like, um, there should always be this balance, but man, it's sometimes it can be difficult to maintain. I think, last year when I was really getting into the fire movement and really figuring out the investing plan, you know, getting the financial house in order because we couldn't travel and spend money on a lot of things, man, right. that felt super easy to do. But now that we've been traveling again and we have things to spend money on and, you know, activities to do, there's a part of me that's saying, well, this is just going to delay the dream. <laughs> um, yeah. So I see that in both of these posts and I feel um, I mean, I, I definitely can sympathize w with that. Have you ever felt yourself like you were too hard on the fire path and someone else called you on it? Uh, the, the risk for me is uh, actually more post fire. I think pre fire, okay. I was pretty reasonable. I, I, I think, but I mean, you guys had a, and maybe, you, you, you know, paired no, things no, back, no, right? Yeah, I did pair things back, and I, I don't want, I'm not, I don't mean to give myself too much credit here. I think I also didn't spend the <laughs> earliest parts of my fire journey reading some of the material that's now available, which can really force, you know, it can allow you to put a lot of pressure on yourself. Well, if you're not hitting the percent savings rate that this blogger is hitting, well, you're not going to get there as fast. And oh, okay, like I could clearly do more here. So maybe having less knowledge and less influence on me. Interesting. Let let me, you know, not go there because yeah. I, honestly, I think I'm really prone to that stuff to comp, you know, internal competition yeah. and feeling like, well, I can learn from all this information out there and doing the same thing will clearly get me there. Um, but you know, at times, sure. You know, 
but but I think especially earlier in my fire journey, maybe I was more apt to be a little more liberal with that stuff than I was yeah. a little later. I, it changed over time for me for sure. But I think here's another thing: like when you start to earn more, you yeah. feel I don't know. This is how I felt. You feel yeah. Um, not obligated, but you feel like you've earned the ability to spend more on things. And there is a yeah. internal conflict there. Like, well, geez, I mean, do is everything delayed gratification? Do I really have to wait yes. another 10, 15, whatever your fire date is in the future? That can be really hard to to look at from a longer time scale. And I, I wonder if the, the bucket strategy that you employ wouldn't help someone in this you know, position to say, okay, this is my current life bucket. And like, you actually have to dedicate some spending to today because what's the point? I mean, yeah. tomorrow's not promised or guaranteed. So it, it's, uh, I think this is a worthy reflection and I think we can all fall into this camp and man, totally. the, this one person sounds pretty unhappy <laughs> with that life. So I have to question yeah. like, it is actually reaching fire going to satisfy this person either. It seems like the, the operating system here needs a, needs a refresh. Yeah. I like the way you put that. And this theme is going to come up again with some of the post fire people, uh, in some pretty concerning ways to be quite honest with you. And this is whole idea of what is your why, right? Why do you want to achieve financial independence? Right. Um, it's not a means to an end. You still have to live. And you know, if you're wired like me, I'm pretty sure I get one go around while I'm still vertical on this planet. And so I do want to enjoy it. I'm a firm believer in delayed gratification. You know, I, I talked about in an earlier episode <laughs> about the series of really awful cars I purchased, several of which you made very pointed remarks about how crappy they were. This person but has an awful hit... car too, man. 10 to 15 year old car. <laughs> they do have an awful They car. don't like it. <laughs> Unlike you. To your other point, when I hit 40, right around then just happened to be when you know tesla model s was available and so yeah i bought one uh so i delayed it for a long time but yeah. i didn't wait until you know uh post fire to make a lavish purchase i did do it earlier now well, i yeah. still Have argue you... that it was financially responsible but i get right, don't go there again as Cheers. your salary goes up <laughs> you're gonna spend right have you seen the playing with fire documentary Yes. Okay. So, you know, do you remember the point at which that the couple in there, the, the, the wife is, you know, having to give up the BMW? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I and, do remember and they that. get like a, I don't know, they get like a Honda or something like a safe car <laughs> or responsible yeah, car. car. And she, and you can tell the whole time she's just like, I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but this is not making <laughs> yeah. me happy. And, and it's yeah. just, I think it may not be the car, it may be something else, you know, it may be the vacation or, you know, the, the object that you want to have now, the guitar, the amp, whatever it is. Um, but I think we're all, we all brush up against those things. And so may, maybe like this whole, um, you know, how you have this financial system that's operating in your life, like that needs to be addressed in that financial plan. Like these things are going to happen or, you know, if you know that about yourself, like Laura, I know is like this. She's got a thing for cars too. And as we were watching that documentary yeah. recently, she's like, Oh yeah. How would I feel giving that up for <laughs> the BMW up for the Honda? Um, so I think we we're all kind of prone to this. For sure. I think it's easy for us to sit here and just look at someone else's stories Judge. and say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, be, be judging. That's not our intent at all. But I think irrespective of that, I believe our conclusion lines up certainly with the second individual yeah. uh, in this series of posts and that 
it's about balance, right? You do have to take care of yourself, your family, your needs in responsible ways so that you can get to this goal that you've set for yourself. But you can't sacrifice all of the enjoyable things in life to save every last penny. You know, people do make that decision, but I have to wonder at what cost. And, uh, you know, I think that's worth considering carefully and revisiting. Are my goals still the same? Do I have new people in my life now? And is this lifestyle really great for all of us? Right. Uh, and if I you think thinking through that is vital. If you feel like you have to save that amount, maybe what you're saving for in the future, like maybe just downscale the, the life. I mean, I, they don't say what their spend is, but you know, there's lots of different levers you can pull here. It's not just how much you're saving. It's also about, you know, equally about what you're spending. So like, there's, there's two things to a couple of different things to look at. I think when it comes to evaluating this and I, I mean, if someone says, quite frankly, I'm un unhappy with my daily life the, to me, that's like hair on fire situation. <laughs> that's something Absolutely. to fix immediately rather than save for something 30 or 40 years in the future. That's right. Yep. We're on the same page. Cool. Well, we're always, this is boring because you and I are just on the same page about everything. What can we disagree on? <laughs> Eric, I, this one, I think we, this is very different from the other pre-fire ones, but I think you reading some key bits from it is probably really important. This is brutal. So this one is titled, does anyone else resent their significant other for not being fat fire? And you'll remember fat fire is anything 5 million plus. So we're talking about a lot of money here. About a year ago, I started to date a girl who is really special and the only person I've ever dated that I could see myself marrying. As we get deeper into this, the fact that this person is saying this is just laughable. And she's, they're 27, not 15. However, she's not ambitious like I am. She's not lazy by any standards. In fact, she makes enough to pay her own way at her current level of living, with emphasis. But she's been working for the same corporate job since she got out of college, is content with her minimum raise of 5% every year, and she doesn't really care to see growth in her role or to get promoted. So now this person wants to level up their lifestyle and... Um, Yep. Now realizing I'll need to support her to some degree, I start to seriously resent her. <laughs> yeah. Resent. Nice guy. Let me be clear. I'm wow. not talking official marriage, but it seems unlike you can seriously date someone without some level of merging of finances. Even something as simple as a vacation. I could go by myself to three countries for 5K, or I could take both of us to one country for 5k and I just he's feeling like he's sacrificing everything you know and then he's trying to achieve this elevated lifestyle and she's just basically yeah. freeloading so I mean yeah. there's some obvious I, reactions I like how, that I have to this but how, yeah. <laughs> how about you well, I like how it ends he's like He's, he's asking for advice. It's, hey, other fat fire folks, this is a fat fire person, right? So we're talking 5 million plus probably right. uh, in total portfolio. Says, how do you rationalize this? I'm at a really tough crossroads right now. I would appreciate advice or anecdotes. What did you end up doing? Do you regret it? Dude, set this woman free. <laughs> this poor woman. I hope, I mean, my advice to this guy, now he, he wrote it, you know, this is not too long ago, right? This was a month ago. I would say, set this poor woman free. Let her know how you feel. And I mean, if, if he actually came clean and was honest with this person, do you think she'd be sticking around? It seems hard to believe. I doubt it. Unless he's much more of a gem than this post is uh, making him out to be. He should just go to the, 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 the three countries, you know, for by himself. Just go by yourself, dude. Yeah. How much fun is that? That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, this, me? this one just screams to me, you know, what are your priorities in life? This is a lot bigger than fire, right? What do you aim to do? You know, what what is your purpose? Is having, you know, strong relationships with people you care about part of it? <laughs> well, all of this has to tie together. It's not like, here's the money stuff. And here's the people stuff, and let's try to avoid any gulfs between them, right? They're inexorably linked, right? I mean, am I off base on this one? I mean, the way I've always looked at our finances, my wife and I, is that it's one and the same. And of course, I mean, well, it's it's maybe it's not, of course. I mean, this kind of thing suggests well, for us. Okay, that's fair. yeah. And the, fair. I mean, granted, these people are not married, so different set of rules in play there. But I mean, I don't see that my income as being separate from her income. I see it going into one pot and that's how it's treated. Maybe, I mean, I know that's how you operate too, but um, I can see the potential for some uh, competition happening there, you know? And, you know, my sure. wife and I have traded um, sort of salary, you know, cap salaries that are- Who is the breadwinner? Who's the breadwinner, right? You know, who gets the check mark next to their name? I mean, I don't play that game, but- when I earned less than she did, I, I definitely paid attention to it. So I don't know, maybe this person is, is seeing this, the, the writing on the wall with, with this person. I can't, I can't believe this person who would write a post like this is not going to be overtly offensive to their significant other in a way that they wouldn't yeah. have any visibility into this, how they feel about it. I mean, this is just a crazy, crazy viewpoint from my standpoint. Yeah, it is. But, you know, maybe flipping it around to kind of a, I don't know, a lesson might be the way the word to use. I'm not really sure. Irrespective of what your goals are in life, you know, have, make sure you have thought through them thoroughly and what you aim to get out of achieving those goals. Make sure you share those goals with others who you choose yeah. to share your life with, whether that's family or a significant other, a spouse. And make sure you're on the same page because, boy, you would not want this stuff to be a surprise and suddenly find out that your partner was resentful of you because you didn't know they had these expectations that you would earn in the same way or uh, things like that. But, but you know, just a, from a reality check, an awful lot of people uh, in the United States, and I assume this is a, a U.S. post based on a couple of aspects of it, they don't get 5% raises a year. So just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, many people would be very happy with a 5% raise every year. Uh, and not everybody wants to be promoted to higher and higher levels of authority. Some people have no interest in that. I had a person work for me who refused any promotion, did not want to supervise people, super happy and very competent at their job. I can hardly judge anybody unfairly for that. That's great. So, but share share those thoughts. And uh, yeah, I wish all the best to you and more to the this person's partner. Nothing like being that financial you know, ball there dragging the ship down. It's ridiculous. Like, exactly. I don't know. I have lots of yeah, yeah. reactions to this, but, uh, but me too. I felt like I had to include it. Low end lifestyle. I'd love to know what the low end, li it's probably yours and my lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. It probably <laughs> trying is. to graduate well, from our lifestyle to his high end lifestyle. I don't know. I'm sure we've met lots of people like this that, you know, the, Money is valued above all else, and it's certainly not how I've set my life up to be. But, you know, those comforts and uh, different le level of living, I guess, are maybe more important to other people. And that's maybe they shouldn't be in a relationship. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Good luck to you both. <laughs> so that's the end of our 
pre-fire stories. Is there anything that kind of you want to add to that or that resonates through all of them that, that, that ties them up? No, I think we've covered that. I mean, to me, the more interesting um, posts here are going to be the ones who of people who actually reached fire and um, something went wrong or, geez, you know, you yeah. know, what, what are the lessons we can learn from the people who went ahead and it flopped for them? So how many do we, how many of these do we have? Uh, I think four or five. Four or five. Oh, good. Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com.